Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled Saved to Serve. Today on Words of Grace, I want to play for you the last message that we preached in 2023. This message, as we already shared, is entitled Saved to Serve. And this is a part of our ongoing series through the book of 2 Corinthians, specifically chapter 5 and the portion of God's Word that we discussed together were verses 12 through 21. Now, this was a full one-hour sermon, and we're only going to play about half of it for you on the radio, so just suffice it to say, much of this message is left out, and if you would like to hear it in its entirety, you can do so by going to the Facebook page for Flint River Primitive Baptist Church, or you can go to the MarchToZion.com YouTube channel, and you can watch the message there at your convenience. As I began this message, I did so by asking our congregation two questions, and I will share those questions with you as well. Number one, what is the motivation you have for your service to God? In other words, why do you serve God? Do you serve Him out of fear of something bad happening to you, or do you serve Him for another reason? And question number two, what do you do in light of what God has done for you? Those two questions are very much at the forefront of our mind as we deliver these thoughts from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. And before the conclusion of today's broadcast in this sermon that we share with you, we will return to those two questions again. Now, though 2 Corinthians 5 verses 12 through 21 is a rather lengthy portion of Scripture, there are three sections that we will consider for the main point that we will share with you today. Number one, verse 15, that Christ died for all, that is, all of his people, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That's passage number one that we will emphasize more heavily than the other passages in this text. Christ died for us that rather than living for ourselves, we should live for Christ. Number two, verses 19 and 20, God reconciled us to himself, and so we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. In other words, because Christ has reconciled you, now reconcile yourself to God. And then lastly, technically from chapter 6, chapter 6 and verse 1, we then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. Not that you and I could receive God's grace in vain in the sense that it does not save us or it is not efficacious when God saves, we are saved. However, God's grace is intended to have a desired effect on our lives as far as our personal behavior is concerned. As we said from verse 15, if Christ died for us, live for him. And if he has reconciled us, then be reconciled unto him. These three 
statements, these three concepts from 2 Corinthians 5, are what you might call our principal passages in today's study. Each of these passages describe our service to God as a response for what God has done for us and to us. And referring back to our two introductory questions, why do you serve God? What is your motivation for serving God? And what do you do in light of what God has done for you? The answer to those questions, as it ought to be, is revealed in today's passages. So with that said, and hopefully your interest captured, let's go verse by verse through this text in today's message, Saved to Serve. Verse 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. First of all, the word constraineth means holds together, binds, apprehends. What has constrained you as a disciple of Christ? You are saved to serve. On what basis are you saved? The love of Christ. The love of Christ constrains you. What keeps you in discipleship? Well, I'm really afraid I'm going to go to hell. No. The love of Christ constrains you. Faith works by love. And you know what love does? Cast out fear. Salvation, when it comes to us and we serve God because we love Him, we receive assurance of that salvation that is above all that we could ask or think. It's a peace that passeth all understanding when our heart does not condemn us. The love of Christ constrains us. Our service to God, though there is a place for a reverential fear of God, Our service to God is to be based upon our love for Christ. The love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge. Now let's look at this phrase. That if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he that died, that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again. Christ died for all, that is, all his people. And his people are of all types of person. But I want to be very clear with you this morning. There are people that the Bible says Jesus did not die for. Let me give you a rule. If Jesus died for you, then you have no sin. Because he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If Jesus died for you, you have no sin. If Christ died for all of the sins of all of the people, then all of the people are saved. Because if Christ died for your sins, you can't not be saved. Double negative. You have to be saved. If he died for you, he took away your sin. Christ either died for all of the people, in which case he would have taken away all of their sins, in which case all people are saved, or he died for some of the sins of all of the people. If he died for some of the sins of all of the people, then none of the people are saved because only some of their sins were taken away. Or lastly, Christ died for all of the sins of some of the people. In which case, all of those people are saved. Now, we know there is a hell and we know there will be people in it. And I'm telling you from 
more passages than I could quote in a three-hour sermon that I would enjoy and you would fall asleep. Jesus is successful in saving when Jesus went to save. And so all here, in the Greek language, this word comes from the root form of pas, P-A-S, but it when you actually read the statement, it has various forms that it appears in. The best definition I read of that was years ago, and it was all of a certain type or some of all types. All of a certain type or some of all types. Christ died for all of a certain type. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He died for all of a certain type. But at the same time, Jesus died for some of all types. Praise God, Jesus didn't just die for the Jews or people among the Jews, because they are not all Israel that are of Israel. There were some Jews that he said, you are not of my sheep. There are some Jews to which Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil, in John chapter 8. In Matthew 23, he tells the Pharisees, you generation of vipers, how shall you being evil escape the damnation of hell? They didn't belong to him. They're not his people. Jesus died for all of a certain type, and Jesus died for some of all types. Jesus has a people out of every nation, kindred, and tongue. White people, black people. He died for people from Asia. He died for people in India. Jesus died for blonde-headed people and red-headed people and brown-headed people and black-headed people. He died for tall people and short people, for wide people and narrow people. He died for people who are in America and people who are in Canada and people who are in Mexico and people who are in Brazil and people who are in Iran and people who are in Russia and people who are in China. He died for all types of people, people of all types, every nation, kindred, and tongue. And if Jesus dropped Blood, his beloved, beloved blood from his body as he hanged on the cross for you. He shed his blood for you. If blood dropped from him for you, then he has washed you whiter than snow, though your sins be as scarlet, by his blood. And you are saved. He died for all, some of all types, all of a certain type, that they which live should live henceforth not unto themselves. What is the purpose of him saving us? One of the purposes that we serve him, that we live not unto ourselves. As we go into this new year, call to action. Live your life not unto yourself. Live your life not unto your hobby, Not unto your employment where everything there is dragging you 15 directions and you live as a serf, a servant in every way to do the whim of the people who pay you and support you. Live your life unto Christ. Live as unto Christ. That we should live henceforth not unto ourselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now, we are alive because he died, but notice he that died is yet alive because he rose again. It's almost a play on words. We're not even living for one who is still dead. 
Now, there's people all around the world that live for people who've died and stayed dead. You know, you want to serve in their memory? Philosophers and politicians and figures and founders and all sorts of people, they build statues after them. But we're living for someone who died for us to save us, who is yet alive because he rose again. As saved people, we should not merely live for ourselves, but we should live for Christ. Verses 16 and 17. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. What? Everyone I know, I know after the flesh. I know you in the flesh. Is there anyone here you only know in spirit? Everyone we know, we know after the flesh. It's the only way we know people. What Paul is saying here is that we do not regard the flesh. Henceforth know we no man after the flesh. What was the most important thing religiously to a person who was Jewish? The flesh. Your lineage. So-and-so begat so-and-so, which begat so-and-so, which begat so-and-so, which begat so-and-so. And he goes all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was everything. Henceforth, from now on, we do not regard the flesh. I don't look, Paul says at a person of Jewish descent as if they are superior to this sister in Christ over here of the city of Corinth who's not only a Gentile but also a female. So, you know, the men go further than the women among Israel, but the Gentiles can't even enter past the gate of the Gentiles, and this is a sister, a female. No, Paul says all of that. In Christ there's neither bond nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female, we do not regard the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. That is, after the flesh, Jesus is no longer with us in a flesh, bone, and blood body because Jesus, in that form, ascended to glory. Jesus still has that flesh, blood, and bone body. He still has it, but it's ascended to glory. We don't see him in that way presently in our lives today. Therefore, regarding not the things that we look at physically like they would in the Old Testament, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Including the entire way we worship God. We don't regard the flesh. We're new creatures. We don't keep the law because the old things are passed away. But let's dig into that concept briefly. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We know Christ, and since we know Christ, we are new creatures. We know Christ because we are new creatures. Now, I have made this point many times, but I have to make it again because I keep hearing this statement that is not accurate. We do not merely have new creatures. We have a new nature. But Paul doesn't say here, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he has a new creature. We don't have new creatures. Again, quoting my buddy Daryl, there's a big difference, and I have a dog and I am a dog. I am. We are new creatures if we are in Christ. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. Our sins are put away. 
Our life has become new. Our slate is forever put away. We have a clean slate, and guess what? It stays clean. It stays clean. Throw something to it. It doesn't stick because Jesus took away all of your sins, past, present, and future. All things are done away with through Christ dying for you upon the cross. Our guilt from violating God's law is removed. All things are new. All things are new. The former things are done away. Verses 18 and 20, because we have to be brief. I told you we'll emphasize the verses between the verses that we're often quoting from in this chapter. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, and all things are of God. All things regarding you being a new creature are what? Of God. Of there being a genitive term, just like faith of Christ. When we talked about that recently, genitive in the Greek language, they don't even have a possessive sense the way we do, where we put an apostrophe and an S. It's not Ben's car, it's the car of Ben. That's the way they say things. And so this being of God, all things are of God, is telling you that this is literally from him. He's responsible for it. He has caused it. He's brought it to pass. Your being a new creature is of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, let me emphasize this. All things are of God who hath reconciled. Hath reconciled. This word hath indicates a present tense and yet ongoing reality. It means it happened in the past and its effects are still present. Hath reconciled. God has permanently reconciled you all by himself. And yet he has given us, look at this, has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? He reconciled us, but he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to explain what that means in just a minute. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation But God himself has reconciled. One thing to say up front, God reconciles, we serve the reconciled. One way to say that. We minister, we serve those who are reconciled. That's what we're doing right now, or at least trying. To wit, let me explain. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. World there has reference to the same all people out of the entire world. And again, I could... I have a lot on my outline of passages we don't have time to go through, but you've got men like Esau, you've got the John 8 people who are of their father the devil, you've got some of the Pharisees in Matthew 23, people that were not being reconciled to Christ. The world here, to a Jew, means a Gentile, and Paul is a Jew, and he's writing to Gentiles. People all out through the world were being reconciled to God in Christ. Remember, Knowing no man after the flesh likely has reference to the regard they would have for Jews. And he's saying, listen, all types of people, people in all the world are reconciled by Christ, not just people of a Jewish persuasion or ethnicity. Reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. If your trespasses are not imputed to you, your trespasses are not imputed to you. 
and hath committed unto us, all right, explain what we mean by ministry of reconciliation. Christ is reconciling us. God is in him reconciling us unto him, not imputing our trespasses unto us, and he's committed unto us the word of reconciliation. We preach reconciliation. We labor to the reconciled. We preach to those that are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We preach to those who live. What do we preach in this ministry of reconciliation? Well, first of all, he calls it the word of reconciliation. That means that, number one, we teach the truth of the facts of it, which is certainly true. Number two, notice from this next passage... Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, representatives, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. God reconciles us to him in Christ, and you are then reconciled. And then we come along to those who live, those who are new creatures in Christ, those who have been made the righteousness of God in him, verse 21, and we beg you to be reconciled back to God. What do we often observe here? Regeneration is God only where God quickens us when we're dead in trespasses and in sins, and conversion is our response back to God. What is baptism? The answer of a good conscience towards God. This principle is all through the Bible. God saves and we are called to serve. And what the ministry does, having the ministry of reconciliation, is to beg you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. God gave Christ the work of saving and us the work of the Word. Now, I'm going to share with you the commentary of John Gill on this point. My favorite old, old Baptist, English Baptist, particular Baptist forefather. You who are new creatures, for whom Christ has died and peace is made, you, the members of the church of Corinth, who upon a profession of faith have been taken into such a relation, be ye reconciled to all the dispensations of divine providence towards you. Be reconciled to the divine providence towards you. Let your wills bow and be resigned to His. Gill says, being reconciled back to God is to let your will bow to His as someone who belongs to Him and be resigned to His will since He is the God of peace to you and as as you are reconciled by Christ as a priest, be reconciled to Him as your King and to your God, to your King and your God, to all of His ordinances and appointments, to all the orders and laws of His house. Conform all things to His will and pleasure which we, as his ambassadors, in his name and in his stead, have made known unto you. You ought to be all obedience to him and never dispute anything he says or orders. When Paul says, be reconciled to God, we're begging you. He's not saying God has done all he can do, and now we're asking you to do your part so that this can be a reality. What he says around this verse is far too strong for that to be the understanding. And so John Gill hits the nail right on the head with a sledgehammer. You who are new creatures, for whom Christ died and for whom peace is made, Jesus is your priest, reconcile yourself to his will, to his providence, 
to his commandments, to his ordinances, and to him as your king and him as your God. Be all obedience to him and never dispute anything he says or orders. Four, four, present reality. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. We're not talking to unsaved people in verse 20. We're talking to the saved because he says to them, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. What's his point? His point is you have been saved, so go and serve, and service starts with reconciling yourself to His will, and you know His will through His Word. Do you ever hear a Bible verse read and you think, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. That one kind of makes me mad. Reconcile yourself back to God who has reconciled you in Christ. Present reality is that He has made you the righteousness of God. That ought to motivate us to service. In closing... What is the motivation for your service to God? Question number one we began with. Question number two, what do you do in light of what God has done for you? Now you understand that these two questions are really the same question. What is your motivation for your service to God? Pietism says, I've got to serve God, I've got to be good, I've got to be holy, so God is pleased with me, so so I'm real, so I'm legitimate. And it's a rat race that does nothing but put a yoke of bondage upon your neck. You know your motivation to serve God? It's all in this text. God, you saved me. I was, I was wretched. I was wicked. You bore my sin upon the cross. You suffered as if you did the terrible things that I do. And you saved me. And by the time I realized I was saved, I was already saved. There's nothing more I can do. I I can't earn it now. It's already done. I'm not scared anymore because I know through your word you you made your son, and you know sin to be sin for me, that I might be made your righteousness. So I'm I'm not walking in fear of a lightning bolt. Lord, the only other reason I have to serve you is because I'm thankful and I love you. That's the answer. That's the answer. The motivation to serve God is what God has done for us. We are saved to serve. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for saving us, for loving us. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to secure it. All of this is of God, and you have saved people throughout all of the world. It is all of you. It is all through your Son. By the time we're even aware of it, it's already happened to us. But we know, Father, this is a call to action. We know, Lord, that we're your children. We know that you've called us to go and to do. And so, Father, we want to leave this place. We want to begin our new year doing. But let it not be because we feel guilt. Let it not be because we're afraid. Let it not be because we desire something of you. But simply because you have saved us. And we love you. And that is it. Forgive us of our sins, we pray in Jesus' name. And we say together, Amen.
If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.